So it's Earth Day, and I thought for Earth Day I would do something a little different and not do a kind of straight Dharma talk. Uh, I'm going to start by reading you a radio show that I did uh, Friday on KFOG and on KPFA. Uh, if you heard it, you, you could listen again. Maybe it uh, will have different meaning to you. Uh, I thought it would be appropriate, and then I'll say a few words about uh, Earth Day and and Dharma, and then open it up to uh, questions, discussion, you know, comments, suggestions. I have a number of of also of really uh, interesting poetry and pieces that I, I, I would like to read interspersed in, in our discussion. But let me start with this. So you, some of you may know me as Scoop, uh, you know, as, as Scoop Nisker on the radio. But this is a version where I've eliminated all my uh, kind of, I don't call you fogheads, in other words. It's not, <laughs> not going to do that because you have graduated, you know, you're... Hopefully you have a little less fog than uh, many of the people who listen to me on the radio. Okay. Yo, all you humans out there. And if you can understand what I'm saying, that's probably what you are. It's Earth Day once again. Time to celebrate the home planet. And this year, as never before, the Earth is calling for your attention and your rituals and prayers and, of course, your activism And I'm talking about your mama here, the one who gave you life and who carries you across the skies. And I'm sorry to announce that she's not feeling so well these days. She's experiencing severe fevers and chills, and her circulatory system is full of poisons. And many of her children, all manner of life forms, are now becoming extinct at 1,000 times the normal rate. And to a major degree, this devastation is due to the activity of the species Homo glutonus, We have discovered a problem, humans, and it is us. So what can we do? What can be done? One thing is becoming perfectly clear. There are just too many of us. Some of you will have to go. (laughs) I recently saw a bumper sticker that read, Six billion people can't be right. It's also clear that you and I and all of us living here in the overdeveloped world are going to have to cut back our consumption. I suggest that we all work with a mantra. Enough, enough, we've got enough stuff. Or for the younger generation, we quit, we quit, we've got enough stuff. (laughs) And we all, of course, need to go on a low-carbon diet. But underlying all our environmental problems is a case of mistaken identity, a defective belief system, an outdated mythology. I mean, haven't we lived long enough believing that our true self is somehow disconnected from this body or somehow separate from matter or from this planet? I personally haven't seen any of these so-called souls that people talk about at least not since James Brown died. (laughs) And our major religions tell us that we are just visiting the earth as if it's some kind of training planet where you come to learn some lessons or burn off some karma or get saved by some messiah or another. 
And the hope is that once we're done on this funky old sphere, our true self will go off to a better place where it truly belongs. But those beliefs are now dysfunctional because they take the divine away from the earth and rob life itself of the reverence it is due. The time has come, my friends, for an upgrade of our metaphysics. Besides, there's no longer any doubt that the scientific story of evolution is true, at least among people who have a large forebrain. <laughs> so let's embrace evolution as our new creation myth. You can start by feeling yourself in a body and realizing that it is composed of all natural earth ingredients as I did in the meditation tonight. Your bones are made of calcium phosphate and silicates, the actual clay of earth molded into your shape. The fluids in your body are similar to those of the oceans. You sweat and cry seawater. So, my friends, you are certified organic. Where else could these bodies have come from? In fact, we humans are essentially earth sprouts that gained a lot of mobility. Our primary identity is that of earthling. And we are built out of all the life that came before us. Scientists have discovered that we don't even have a brain. We have three brains. A reptilian brain, a mammalian brain, and the new human brain. And research indicates that we mainly use our new human brain to make excuses for the behavior generated by the other two brains. <laughs> The lizard and the wolf still live inside of us. And we now know that we are related to everything that ever lived through the miracle molecule DNA, which carries the information for every form of life on this planet. And we share 90% of our DNA with mice and nearly 70% with worms and nearly 50% with yeast. Yeast. <laughs> so if we declare ourselves divine, is not the slime also divine? And if not, where do we draw the line? Do snails get a soul? What about mushrooms? The point is that the story of evolution does not have to deny our divinity as humans, but it might, might just deny our exclusive divinity. While we're on the subject, let's give the DNA a spiritual spin. And instead of thinking deoxyribonucleic acid, which is a very cold and clinical term for this magic molecule, from now on, whenever you see or hear the letters DNA, think divine natural abundance. Because what the earth is asking of us now is a shift of consciousness so that we embrace our identity as part of earth life and come to know ourselves as members of a particular species, as humans, as animals, even as vertebrates. Come on, say it loud. I'm a vertebrate and I'm proud. <laughs> and one way to begin your shift of consciousness is to celebrate Earth Day, a holiday that is meant for all of us, regardless of kingdom, genus, phyla, nationality, religion, or color of skin, fur, feathers, scales, leaves, or bark, because Earth Day is everybody's Mother's Day, a celebration of the goddess, Gaia Pachamama. The Earth is the Milky Way's little biosphere project, 
and it's everybody's hood. To celebrate Earth Day, you might also want to go picket in front of the oil company of your choice. Or go out into the ocean and take a swim in the primal amniotic fluid. And while you're out there, maybe chain yourself to an endangered coral reef or play some soothing music for the fish who must be very confused due to the changing temperature of the oceans. And yes, you might want to do whatever you can to get rid of this nasty, invasive species of bushes. In, in, in Latin, it's bushistus tehexus. It's the worst thing that's happened to life on Earth since the last Ice Age. At least take a vow on this Earth Day, and there's still time to do that, even if you haven't uh, picketed in front of your oil company. At least take a vow on this Earth Day, humans, that you will do something more to protect your mother. And at some point in your Earth Day celebration, take off your shoes, dance on the Earth, touch your mother skin to skin, or just lay down flat. Face down, ignore your inner cynic, and give your mama a big hug. As always, she will welcome you home. And this is Scoop Nisker saying, all praises to the earth. Long may she spin. And if you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own, of course. So... I am convinced that this paradigm shift, this shift of our metaphysics is really important in, in, our, in this whole transformation that has to take place in our culture, in our civilization. Um, and I think that one way that it takes place and can take place is through dharma practice and through meditation. We are hungry, I think, for a way to understand ourselves other than as individuals in an individual drama, seeking private gratification. I think our, our culture has gone to a great extreme in the direction of separate, isolated individuals. We have lost what the anthropologists used to call participation mystique, which is a sense of belonging to a community or nature or the cosmos, of feeling your identity as part of grand projects, big stories, we're all lost in our little story. And it doesn't feel good. It's suffocating and it's painful. And it doesn't do anybody or, at this point, uh, ourselves any good. Because we are, in some way, that, that sort of individualist path is part of the poison that is destroying the environment. We're all living in our own little cells, in our own houses, driving our own cars. I mean, the the whole movement towards you know uh, reduced use of fossil fuels focuses on getting cars that will run on something else, and not on public transportation, which is 
which is a th- solution that brings people together, that ma- that is creates a commons, or creates a public uh, um, facility. We don't, we aren't, we 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 keep thinking in our individualist uh, perspective. For me, in Buddhist meditation. This sense of being an earthling, if you will, really grew organically. And I think a central part of what the Buddha taught was this shift of identity away from the I, me, mine and into larger contexts for our lives. In some way, desentimentalizing our individual drama, diffusing it, making it less important, and seeing ourselves in 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 more accurately as part of of much bigger processes, these great streams of biological and cosmic evolution moving through us all the time. And we think we're in charge of our little life and, and that that's what it's all about. It's, it's crazy. It's sick. It really is. Um, and there's a great ease that comes when you shift out of your personal drama you know, thinking only about how you're going to get your needs met and your desires met, there's a great ease and a great sense of release when you step into a bigger picture. Um, Step into the Chinese landscape painting where you just barely see that little figure, you know. Man in proportion to, in, in, in a more correct proportion to the environment. Or Buddha said to his son Rahula once, you know, you put a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water, it's going to taste salty. Put it in the Ganges, and the Ganges water will not taste salty. Put your individual drama in a big story. And the story uh, is the story of, a, of our species struggling at this moment to, to kind of wake up and learn to cooperate so that we can heal this planet. Uh, seeing that, you know, there are too many of us, that we're, our, our, especially here, our, our consumption, nature can't handle or sustain our level of consumption, that we really do have to change our lifestyles. I think, I think Dharma practice, meditation, is a real path towards what we seek as, as, both as individuals and as a species and as a form of life for our own healing and for the healing of of the collective, for the healing of the species. And I have hope. I do. And my hope comes from seeing in deep time, as, as, as is called, seeing the story of evolution and how long it is and how recently we got these big brains. I mean, a hundred thousand years is nothing. There were a hundred million generations of dinosaurs, ten million generations of mammals before humans came along. We've had maybe 
10, 20,000 generations of, of Homo sapiens. You know, we just, we're just starting to learn how to use these brains. Um, and if you see it in that big picture, then you, then you also see the Buddha and Socrates and Lao Tzu were 2,500 years ago. A blink of an eye in any kind of biological time. We're, we're starting to wake up collectively, learning how we can maybe modify that lizard brain, the impulses of that lizard brain and that, that mammalian brain, because now we, our tool-making ability is so phenomenal. We've got we've to give our hearts and, and brains a chance to catch up, uh, or we're going to destroy ourselves. Um, I, I really see this practice as a core, as a, as a, a tool for our healing and for our shift of identity. You know, the Buddha was a great biologist, a spiritual biologist, a great scientist. He, he doesn't talk about cosmic consciousness or, you know, I mean, he talks, he says it's all, everything can, that you need to know for your liberation can be found in this fathom-long body just by bringing your attention inward and examining this body. Where did it come from? And he says, this body's not mine or anyone else's. It has arisen due to past causes and conditions. Darwin, move over. I mean, that's 2,500 years before Darwin. But an insight into, uh, you know, what is this that we're, we're involved in here? And he went through, then he went through sensations and emotions and thoughts and how the mind works. He said, none of this is I, me, or mine. It's all moving through me. And that was the key to his liberation. That my friend Joanna Macy um, says, you know, we don't have to be liberated from life. We can be liberated through life by feeling that this is part of this story. And when you think of all of the all of the conditions and events that had to be just so, all the millions of them, going back, you know, millions and millions and billions of years, in order to come to you at this moment, how can you even think about there being a self in there that somehow? chosen this or is guiding this as some uh, spiritual uh, uh, charlatans, I, I would call them, try to tell you, you know. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could see it that way. Anyway, that's provocative enough. Now, now <laughs> come on. Questions, comments, suggestions. Yeah. How can I get a transcript of your, uh, of your talk? Because I have a, a, a great nephew who's a freshman in college back east, and he's uh, very 
Yeah, there's there's a it's on the KFOG website under morning show features. I think that that's where it is. Did I say thank you? Oh yeah. But we don't know if it's too late or not. And it's sort of like you do the work, you know, karma yoga is you do the work regardless of what the outcome is. You do the work with as much fullness and joy as you can. And, uh, you know, the outcome is up to those bigger forces. Uh, but in the process, you can dissolve yourself. You can liberate yourself through the process of saying, I am devoting more and more of my time to living consciously and, and making sure that, you know, I'm not causing harm, etc. And, and, you know, even extending that. And who knows, uh, you know? Who knows? I mean humans, you know. And it, yeah, it's, uh, for thousands of years we ran around this planet saying it's too cold, <laughs> right? Fickle, we're so fickle. We ran around, you know, ice covering most of North America. You know, it's just like this is balmy weather. We should be appreciating it, <laughs> enjoying it for now. Actually, you know, this is a very, you know, of course, as as you may have read or, or know, this is a really temperate, wondrous time uh, of weather on this planet. Uh, you know, people 50,000 years ago had the same size brains we did, we do, but didn't develop the elaborate civilizations we've developed. And a lot of, of people think it's because they just had to barely survive through an ice age, the end of an ice age, you know, uh, and that sort of kept our brains from developing until now to this wondrous <laughs> place that they are. <laughs> it's such a mystery. It's all just such a mystery. And, you know, I, I sometimes pretend that I know what's going on. But I don't have a clue, really. But I'm I'm getting to I'm coming to enjoy sort of the mystery more and more. Maybe it's aging, you know. I have less uh, ambition, and so I can in, enjoy it more. But you know, if if we heat up this planet and wipe out our species who's to say that that's not what nature intended 
I mean, if you're going to feel yourself part of nature, then you also give it up. You give it up. Nature knows what she's doing. The, the universe is unfolding the way it's, it's unfolding far beyond your powers to affect it. Chuangzi, the great Taoist, says, do you think you can take over the universe and improve it? So in some way, by, by shifting consciousness and feeling yourself as part of nature, you give up any hope of, of actually controlling it. Maybe we are the agents of, of our own destruction. But life will, you know, I mean, life is so tough. Life has survived continents bumping into each other, you know. I mean, can you imagine the life forms? Whoops, there goes South America, you know. I mean, <laughs> volcanoes. I have this wonderful piece. Maybe I'll read it by Mark Twain. Unless there's a, a burning question. Oh, there it's a burning question, yeah. I just wanted to throw out the counter to that, you know, and realize that if both are true, you know, like for as much as we, you know, acknowledge that, you know, we, we don't have as much say in this whole cosmic picture of things, we have as much say in our own like life and in our own community to actually vote the changes that we want in this world. Well, we, you know, to get into the free will determinism argument, I don't want to go there. It's so, you know, fraught with uh, impossible puzzle, really. But on some level, you don't choose the instrument of your choosing. The instrument that makes choices you don't choose your brain, your level of consciousness, your body, your culture, the time you're alive. So in that sense, you can say, okay, yeah, on a relative level, I, I make choices and I can decide to do this and that. But only with the brain and the nervous system you're given. And that is not something you chose. But the Buddha does say that we, the only thing that we can own own right? I don't know what the Buddha said, to tell you the truth. The Buddha says a lot of things and uh, <laughs> almost as many as Confucius. But we won't, we won't, yeah, he does, there is that, uh, that sense that you do own your own karma. Um, See, I, I, I don't believe in past, I don't believe in reincarnation and past lives and stuff. I believe that karma acts through a lifetime, but uh, I don't, you can't change anything that happened in the past up till right now. You could maybe break the karma, the karmic pressure and flow at this moment at any given moment. Um, but then, you can even ask, did I choose to be someone who was called to develop mindfulness and, or was that just 
something that happened because of my genes and where I was born and the time I was born. If you had been born 40 years, 50 years before you were born, you probably never would have heard of Buddhism. So in that sense, no, there's nothing, there's nothing to be done. <laughs> you are, you've got to surrender in some level, you know. We pretend that we're, you know, and we'll try to do our best. But as I said uh, to a friend the other day, and this was one of my favorite lines that I've ever come up with. <laughs> and I, I, I don't actually take credit for these lines, you know, because I didn't order this brain. Uh, actually, I said it to Ramdas. I said, you are not the doer. You're the dude. <laughs> he laughed. Yes. So you have to, I think, explain why you call for activism. In a way, I mean, if you talk about being that, um, that it's that out of our control, then why should, what would make us be activists? You caught me, huh? <laughs> you know, there, there, there are many, there are many sides to to how I think, and I, I don't claim consistency. <laughs> I made a repu I made a reputation calling for activism. I've got to maintain it, you know. <laughs> I think there—it it isn't inconsistent, really. I mean, because what you really talked about in your in your piece had to do with recognizing our identity with everything around us. Mm. And it's true. We, who, whatever is acting, we have an interest in its ongoingness and its being as little suffering. Right, right. To, now, that's that's a great way to put it. The bottom line being. How can I best eliminate suffering? And I think, you know, there are ways that you can help eliminate suffering among animals and uh, among ocean creatures and among humans. And I think one of the ways that you can help eliminate suffering among humans is telling them that to surrender, that, there's, that they're really not in charge. Now, I know that sounds contradictory, but I think that's that that's true. I think that we, you know that that is a path out of suffering. But you're also saying that just because you're not in charge doesn't mean that you shouldn't do whatever whatever the moment seems to ask you to do, like in karma yoga. Right. So you're not in charge, but you do it anyway. You do it anyway. Yeah. You do it anyway. That's the thing. Okay, one, two, and then we'll, I'll read you something. Yeah, you. Me. Okay, hi. Um, I hope I can put this into words. Um, first, I just want to say thank you. And Did you speak up? Um, uh, just as far as, like, the, you know, the earth, uh, I just what I keep needing to remember as far as activism or what maybe happens, is I keep remembering, okay, wetlands. Look at wetlands. What what happens with a wetland that's been completely destroyed and poisoned when it's re you know, this mother of ours does know how to 
and maybe we will have her spinning off somewhere one day, but she does know how to heal, and, and we are her caretakers. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it all. But what I want to try and get a little more from you around um, sort of the irony mind that, you know, my, sort of my path in my life is to fucking heal. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, okay, that was intense, but I'm getting there. Um, and it's my life process at this point. Um, so there's me, there's a, me and my story mm -hmm. to heal. Um, and then there's the collective. So whatever that real piece in there is, can you speak to it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think, thank you uh, for bringing that up. I think that, you know, there is a time when we have to focus on our story and that uh, we have to try to heal our own dysfunctional mind. And, and some of that often requires focusing on the story. But then I think the next step, or the spiritual step, really, is to begin to focus on a bigger story. And uh, yeah, so there's, I think it, it's a matter of timing and it happens for different people at different times. Yeah. That's the big story. I, I wouldn't presume to on just this uh, interchange. The breath within the breath, I mean, I, I just find that to be more and more um, I just feel like in the morning when I sit down and meditate and feel that feel that this is a mystery that is inside of me This that the big mystery is here and I feel it in the breath that and nobody we don't know what this is what this life is means and why it, it's happening and why we're conscious of it and you know i mean it's 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 phenomenal uh and to feel that every day is to sort of connect to to something much bigger and to and to arouse some kind of delight and appreciation i'm alive which is an identity really that we never consider we take it for totally for granted I mean, it sounds kind of stupid, but to just remember that you're alive can be a very powerful reconnection. And it connects you to everything that lives. And then you feel the breath in that. You feel how that connects you. It's, uh, I mean, that's, as I said, you know, coming down from the story of your life into the fact of your life can be very healing. You know, because you can just run on about yourself forever. And, and that's just a little part of your, who you are. Human. I mean, you're human. Uh, an animal. And vertebrate. I mean, I made a joke about it, but... Uh, this, this body plan you know, was invented like, like 500 million years ago. And nature keeps using it. You know, you have a, a, an elongated body with a head on one end and a 
you know, eliminator on the other end and the limbs coming off. Look at all the animals. Look at the insects. Look at the birds. Everybody's laid out in the same plan. And they found that we used the same genes. That, that the genes that tell a fish to grow a fins there and birds to grow wings there tell us, us to grow arms there. And you can actually take the genes and interchange them. They're called toolkit genes, Hox genes. I mean, it's phenomenal how similar we are to other other life forms. We're just we just got lost in our in our own history, you know, our own story. Let me just uh, read you this thing. Um, our dear friend if I can find it yes our dear friend Kurt Vonnegut died last week hmm this is from uh uh, cat's Cradle. God made mud. Then God got lonesome. So God said to some of the mud, sit up. See all I've made, said God. The hills, the sea, the sky, the stars. And I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I, mud, sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. Nice going, God. Nobody but you could have done it. I certainly couldn't have. I feel very unimportant compared to you. The only way I can feel the least bit important is to think of all the mud that didn't even get to sit up and look around. I got so much and most mud got so little. And what interesting other kinds of sitting up mud I met. Kurt Vonnegut. I think this is a I, something here uh, else I'd like to read you. This is uh, from the final paragraph of Darwin's book, The Origin of Species. There is a simple grandeur in this view of life with its powers of growth, assimilation and reproduction, being originally breathed into matter under one or a few forms, and that while this, our planet has gone circling on according to fixed laws, and land and water in a cycle of changes have gone on replacing each other, so that from so simple an origin, through the process of gradual selection of infinitesimal changes, endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful, have been evolved. It's the last paragraph of The Origin of Species. Beautiful. Beautiful book, actually. But I, th- I really think that that evolution, we believe in it, most of us modern people. And I think that we have to find the spiritual messages in it. We don't want to just leave it to the scientists. And we have to start to sacralize it, make it, ritualize it, uh, 
sing songs about it, come to really understand it as our story, our autobiography, this story of life on earth. And that will help us to shift our our awareness and shift our sense of identity and uh, bring us home. How late do you go here? Any other, any any further uh, questions, comments, suggestions? I'm, I'm curious just to know um, if you're on the radio regularly these days. Is it, is it kind of like a, a Buddhist evangelical? <laughs> 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 that would be great. No, I. I, I, I can't proselytize on the ra- on the air, but I do. Um, I'm not on real real frequently. Um, maybe when the Iraq War is over, they'll let me back on more frequently, but not for not now. Um, KPFA, I usually go on when I when I when I'm doing a show for KFOG. I usually take it over there too, but not very regularly. So how do we know? You never know. You can't know. <laughs> I think this is a beautiful, beautiful poem and a beautiful sentiment uh, when you think about, you know, the possible horrible scenarios that come. This is uh, Rilke, Raina Maria Rilke. Dear darkening ground, you've endured so patiently the walls we've built. Perhaps you'll give the cities one more hour and grant the churches and cloisters too. And those that labor, maybe you'll let their work grip them another five hours or seven before you become forest again and water and widening wilderness in that hour of inconceivable terror when you take back your name from all things. Just give me a little more time. I want to love the things as no one has thought to love them until they're real and ripe and worthy of you. I want to love the things as no one has thought to love them until they're real and ripe and worthy of you. D.H. Lawrence, what a maiming of love when it was made into a personal, merely personal feeling taken away from life itself and the rising and setting of the sun. This is what is the matter with us. We are cut off from the earth and sun and stars and love is a grinning mockery. Poor Blossom. Because we plucked it from the tree of life and expected it to keep blooming in our civilized vase on the table. Love is a grinning mockery because poor Blossom, we plugged it plucked it from the tree of life and expected it to keep blooming in our civilized vase on the table.
Well, happy Earth Day. Yes. The what? Oh, do I have that? I don't think I have it. I don't think I have it with me. Maybe. Let's see. Of course, now you've given it away. Yes, here it is. Okay, I'll read it. It's a this is a great one. Yeah. All parts of our earth are trampled and full of trade. Fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained. Today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere are residences, people, governments, life. And this above all proves humans' drastic growth. We so clog the universe it can barely support us. As our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them. And nature fails us. It was written by the historian Terulian in 150 A.D. So, let's just sit for a minute before we go. So take a vow with me to live as lightly as you can. And to love, love life, love each other, be kind. Because these are the moments we have. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.